You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. That means... When we read the Bible, we're hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 2 verse 5. Now I'll be reading from the CSB version. Now please follow along in your Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is a power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the Word of God. Gracious God, we ask that in our weakness, in our foolishness, that you would speak. And that Lord Jesus, who died for us, might meet us in our shame and might meet us in our weakness. As we see that Jesus dies the death of a fool to save fools like us. These things we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Normally at Crossing Crown, we will take passages of the Bible to preach through them. 
But if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you will know that we've been taking a step back and looking what the whole Bible has to say about the crux of Christianity, about the heart of not just the Christian story, the heart of human history. And that's this, it's the cross of Christ. It's the very thing that we remember this day on Good Friday. And I want to say that if you're a Christian like I am, you're a fool. At least you are, and at least we are to most of the world. We devote our lives to worship an otherwise historically insignificant man. A Jewish rabbi who lived in first century Palestine, who claimed to be the one true God. A man who was then executed by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate in 33 AD. And let's face it, Jesus didn't die a hero's death. No, he died the death of a fool. He was stripped naked, spat on, paraded around as the object of ridicule. The soldiers made him dress up as a king. They play-acted being his subjects. They hit him on the head over and over and over again like a helpless dog beaten by its cruel and brutal owner. Matthew 27, 31 says, After they had mocked him, the soldiers stripped him of the robe put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. They nailed him to a cross and propped him up like some sort of trophy of the Roman Empire for everyone to see and laugh at. And the worst part of it all is that he didn't even fight back. He didn't even fight back. He was being executed for crimes he never committed, and yet, He never uttered a single word in his own defense. We often think about the pain of the cross, of the nails driven through his hands, but we don't stop to think about the shame of the cross. It's ridiculous. This isn't the noble sacrifice of a hero. It's not the glorious end of a martyr. No, friends, this is the death of a fool. And if we Christians would follow a fool like that, then... Well, I guess that makes us fools as well, doesn't it? We call this day Good Friday, but it is in reality more like April Fools. Because this isn't just the day on which our God died. No, it's the day on which he was shamed. The day on which he was humiliated, looked down upon and mocked in front of the whole world. Why? Why the cross? Even if Jesus had to die to forgive our sins, why not die another way? A less shameful way? A wiser way? A more respectable way? Why die the death of a fool? Well, firstly, it's because the cross reverses human wisdom. Let's face it, no one wants to be a fool, do they? I mean, it's a statement of the obvious. No one wants to be looked down upon, pitied or ashamed. In fact, if we're to fail, we don't mind failing so much as long as we fail in silence and anonymity. But the moment that others see our failure, the moment that others see our sin, the moment that others see our shame, no, there are a few things worse than being treated as lesser, seen as inferior, regarded as worthless. Isn't that why we all work so hard? Well, at least some of us to earn people's respect, to make a name for ourselves. 
Some of you know I've said this before, I often find it funny. Someone gets a promotion, they land the job, they close the deal, but that's not what gives them joy. What gives them joy is posting it on LinkedIn for everyone to see. We want to be able to boast in our achievements. We, we trust that our success will somehow make us worthy and accepted before the eyes of a watching world. And it's the wisdom of our world, isn't it? The strongest, the smartest, the most successful, the wisest, they win the day. They're the one who deserve the accolades. They're the ones who deserve the glory. Well, so we think. Jesus dies the death of a fool to turn that wisdom upside down. He dies the death of a fool to reverse the wisdom of the world. We saw it just before in 1 Corinthians, didn't we? The Apostle Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. We Christians, if you're a Christian here, often forget this, but on the outside, the cross looks like the death of a fool. It's humiliating, shameful, and embarrassing. Jesus, the God whom you boast in, no, he is stripped naked, publicly beaten, propped up on a cross and mocked in front of a crowd. But we know what's really going on, don't we? We know in that moment what's really happening. That in that moment of suffering and shame, Jesus' death accomplishes the salvation of the world. Somehow, in some way, in his torture and execution, this pathetic and broken body secures our forgiveness and guarantees our salvation. You see, it's a tale of two stories, isn't it? It all depends on how you see it. If you value the wisdom of our world, if you value being strong, successful, and smart, if you want to be the guy or the girl that everyone looks at and respects, if you want to be the one that has a whole, their whole lives together, then can I tell you, you just won't see it. You just will not see the cross for what it really is. In fact, the Jews at that time, they totally missed it. They were looking for a powerful saviour, a saviour who would make them powerful, a, a mighty king who would rule in glory. But that wasn't Jesus. No, no, he was a king who died in defeat. The Greeks at that time, they weren't much better. The rest of us, actually, they totally missed it as well. They were looking for a wise and sophisticated solution to make them feel wise and sophisticated. A theory that would appeal to the intellectuals of their day. But I'm sorry. Jesus wasn't that either. He was a fool who was publicly shamed. Chapter 1, verse 22. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we... No, we preach Christ crucified. We preach our king crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles. Do you just see how different that picture is? Now you might sit there and wonder, why would God do that? Why not make it easier? 
Why in the world would God put a stumbling block there at all? Why not make it easier for the Jews and the Gentiles to be saved? Why not save the world in the most obvious display of power and wisdom than everyone could see, couldn't they? Verse 29 tells us why. So that no one may boast in God's presence. You see, our world says that the strongest, the richest, and the smartest win the day. If anyone deserves to be saved, it's them. They can boast in their achievements. They can bank on their accomplishments. Jesus doesn't play that game. No, by coming in weakness, by dying as a fool, Jesus reverses that wisdom. Jesus dies a fool's death to show that the powerful and the wise don't rely, can't rely on their success and their smarts to be saved. No smart person would ever follow a fool like that. Jesus dies a fool's death to strip away our basis of boasting. Because how could you ever boast about following a crucified king? It's just like what Paul says in chapter 2 verse 5. He wants our faith to be based not on our wisdom, not on our strength, not on our intellect, not on our power. But all on Jesus. We think to ourselves, sure, you can boast being, about being mentored by a wealthy CEO, being trained by an accomplished leader. But why in the world would you boast about following a convicted criminal? By dying as a fool, Jesus stops all of us from ever saying, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm successful enough to follow Jesus. Because... The only person who'd follow a fool like him is another fool like us. And who wants to be a fool? No surprise then in verse 26 we read that not many, though he didn't say not any, but not many in Corinth were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Do you see, friends, the more we value what everyone else thinks about us, the far less will follow Jesus. Because the whole world thinks that Jesus is a fool. And if we care so much about what the th world thinks about us, and we follow a fool, well, guess what? They'll think that we're a fool as well. If we want to be saved by God, we need to admit that, no, we're not as strong, smart or successful as we might think. Jesus and Jesus alone can save us. Some of you here might be sitting here actually and thinking to yourself, I'm not a Christian, but these Christians, they're religious people, fools. Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. You might even feel a bit sorry for us. If only they're a bit smarter, just a bit more intelligent, then they might see the truth. Don't take it from me, but actually what God is saying here is that's exactly the wisdom that the cross is reversing. The cross is a sign, it's a warning sign actually, to those who think themselves too smart to ever need God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. 
Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Why does Jesus die the death of a fool? To reverse the wisdom of our world. To humble the so-called wise. And to exalt the fool and the weak. And I don't know about you, but if I know my own heart, that is the best news I could ever hear. Because it means that actually if you're sitting here and you're feeling insecure, insignificant, invisible, forgotten and rejected by everyone, you are exactly the person who Jesus came to save. Jesus died a fool to save fools like you and me. Verse 28, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. You see, in the honesty of, in the honesty of your own heart, you might think that you're nothing special. You haven't accomplished much in life. You might think that you're pretty ordinary. So why in the world would a God like that save a person like me? But look at Jesus' life. He was born as the illegitimate child of a young virgin girl. Isaiah 53, 2 says that he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No no appearance that we should desire him. He was not the guy who walked down the street and made people turn heads. He spent time with the least and the lowly, the weak and the powerless, the poor and the needy. He died not as a heroic king, but as a humiliated fool. Jesus came in weakness to save the weak. He was born into poverty to save the poor. He came as nothing to save the nothings of our world. He died a fool to save fools like you and like me. If we're proud, we will never admit it. But if we're honest in our own hearts, we know it. That most of us have weaknesses in our lives, something that makes us feel embarrassed or even unworthy. Maybe we're not wealthy. Maybe we come from a broken family. Maybe we have a crippling physical illness struck down by mental illness, depression and anxiety, or still hurting from a failed relationship. Maybe it's just as simple as the fact that we're not that much. We're nothing impressive. We come to church and we see the other person walk in and everyone flocks to them. But when we walk in, it's as if no one sees us at all. We just don't have all that much, if anything, to boast in. If that's you, I want you to know you're not invisible to God and you're not insignificant to Him either. No, Jesus came to save a people just like you. In fact, He came to save a people especially like you. Those of us who have nothing to boast in, who can see our own need, our own helplessness and our own weakness, 
And he offers us this offer that if you acknowledge that you've got no strength or success to rely on before him, he will forgive your sin. He will save you from the judgment. He will bring you home. You see, God wants us to boast in nothing but Christ and Christ alone. Or maybe you feel undeserving because actually you used to walk with the Lord. But actually since then you've long since walked away from Him. And if you're honest, you've made a total hash out of your own life. And when you even think about coming back to God, you can't help but feel like a fool for ever having walked away. You know that you've got no moral or spiritual leg to stand on, no Christian brownie points to cash in to come back to God. You've got nothing. Because the cross says that Jesus died for like fools like you and me. Even fools who once denied their Lord. And all you have to do is to admit that you have nothing. And trust that Jesus has done everything. To sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin to you I fly. Wash me, Saviour or I die. Why did Jesus die the death of a fool? To reverse human wisdom and to save fools like us. But not only does the cross reverse human wisdom, no, it redefines it as well. It shows us a new way to live. Isn't it the case that so many of us live with the goal of being respectable? No, it's not just successful, but respectable. If I'm successful, but no one else sees it, who cares? We want to live not just in material comfort, but social comfort. We want to be seen in a certain way. What does conventional wisdom say? It says we want to be looked up to as someone with a stable life, a happy marriage, a successful career, a big house, a healthy investment portfolio. And we say, of course, no, I still want to be a faithful Christian, but... I still also want the respect of the world. I want to be seen as godly by those at church, but also wealthy and wise, successful and sociable in the world around. I want it all. We want to follow Jesus, but still, actually, we care so much about what everyone else thinks about us. We don't want to be seen as a fool. We want to be seen as wise in every way. But the cross redefines what real wisdom is. It radically reorders our priorities. It turns wisdom on its head. It shows us actually the opposite vision of wisdom. To be truly wise means to be counted a fool. To be truly wise means to be counted a fool for Christ. For Christ. Just think about it. Jesus dies the death of a fool and it's all captured in that image of the cross, that emblem of suffering and shame. And now Jesus says to us in Mark 8.34, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and what? Take up his cross and follow me. He's calling us to live as he lived. To be wise as he is truly wise, to play the fool in the eyes of the world. You see, the wisdom of the cross says this, suffering now 
glory later. Suffering now, glory later. That was the pattern of Jesus' life, wasn't it? And that must be the pattern of our lives as well. What does it mean for us to take up our cross? It means to deny ourselves and forfeit worldly ambitions. To willingly give up our desire to be strong, smart, successful and respected. It means to joyfully let go of our own interests so that we might live for God and His glory. It means to embrace being counted a fool and even look down upon, to have people say of us, there is the man or woman with small ambitions, few accomplishments and no power or popularity. It means being willing to embrace the shame of the cross. We all have that one friend, don't we? You know the one I'm talking about. That one friend who we dearly love, but who, if we're honest, is just a little embarrassing. We all have them. Maybe it's that they talk too loud or chew their food too loud. Maybe they're a bit messy when they eat. Maybe they behave in a way that just, you know, makes you feel just a little bit awkward. And we love them. We're also just a little embarrassed, aren't we? bit ashamed. We don't want to introduce them to our other friends. As bad as it sounds, we don't want to be associated with what the world might think is a fool. And isn't that actually sometimes the way we think about Jesus, right? He's our friend at church. Don't really want to introduce him to other people, though. He, he says sometimes a few inappropriate things, like he's God. He wasn't very popular with the in-group of his day. People gave him a bit of a hard time. It's a bit awkward when your best friend's a convicted criminal. You see, as bad as it sounds, we don't want to be associated with Jesus. Because we don't want to be associated with a fool. But in John 15, 20, what does Jesus say? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Or in 1 Peter 4, 12, what does the Apostle Peter say? Don't be surprised. We always are, though. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. We used to do it. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. And look at what the world thinks. They're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they what? They slander you. They slander you. You see, friends, if we take up our cross, if we follow Jesus, we should expect to be disparaged, to be somewhat shamed, slandered, and even ridiculed, because we follow a foolish king. We don't live like the world does. We don't value selfishness, strength and power. We live by a different wisdom. We march to a different beat. We take up our cross daily and follow our fool of a king. If they counted Jesus a fool, I promise you they'll count us fools as well. It's not just them out there. No, let me, let me tell you. You see, you read the gospel. You see, Jesus is even considered a fool by his own family. Mark 3.20, Jesus entered house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, what did they do? 
they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. I didn't even know that verse was there. Jesus knows what it's like to have parents and family who don't believe the gospel. Even more than that, he knows what it's like to have parents who think he's a fool for following Jesus, for following God. He's out of his mind. You're out of your mind. We've heard it before. And yet, Jesus still embraced the shame of not just the enemies out there, but his own family. All so that he might save a people like us. To bring you and me into the one family that truly counts. You see, friends, I don't know if you've gathered this from what we've seen, but the respectable Christian doesn't exist. So stop aspiring to be one. It's trying to be wise in the world and wise before God. It's trying to have it both ways, serving both God and mammon. But the cross redefines wisdom. It rejects the wisdom of our world. It actually calls us to be fools for Christ. And that means that, let me, if I'm honest with you, right? We might never live the sort of life this world tells us to live. The sort of life our friends want us to live. The sort of life our families expect us to live. Because the wisdom of the cross says, suffering now, glory later. No cross, no crown. But friends, I want you to see that there is a glory to come that will make the shame worth it all. Because why in the world would you follow a king like that unless there was a glory worth receiving? You see, Jesus died the death of the fool, but we know that in that moment, he was saving this whole world from the judgment of God. On the outside, it looked like Jesus was defeated, but in reality, no, it was a masterstroke of victory. 1 Corinthians 1.25 reminds us that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And if Jesus looked like a fool, but in reality was saving the world and defeating the devil, then I want you to know that we might look like fools in the world, but in reality, we are choosing the better way. We are bearing our cross today, but we will wear the crown forever. Revelation 2.10, what does John write to the churches, to the church in Ephesus? Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Or Mark 8.35, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever who loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. And here's the immortal question that Jesus asked that echoes through the years of history. But what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world, but forfeit his soul. But surely then the inverse is also true, isn't it? That if we are willing to lose the whole world for Jesus and the gospel, then we will gain our life and we will find our soul. And even if our parents, our family, our friends, this world think us fools because of Jesus, the cross reminds us, no, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. 
There's a promise, not just of suffering now and glory later, but suffering now and glory forever. The truth is here that many of us will not live lives that the world or our families or our friends think wise. We won't live lives that our friends consider fun or fulfilling. Many of us will live cross-shaped lives that suffer for the gospel. But for all of its hardship, take heart. Because in the end, we get it all. If you're mocked as a fool, Looked down on for being a Christian, never married for Jesus' sake, passed over for a promotion on account of Jesus. Don't worry. Rejoice. As you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Did you get that? Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ today, so that you may also rejoice in the great joy when his glory is revealed forever. Take heart. For though you share in Christ's suffering today, we will share his glory in eternity. The world might count you a fool, but you are being the wisest of them all. The pattern of the cross, the wisdom of the cross is suffering now and glory later. But as we end, you might sit there and think to yourself, that doesn't make sense. Why not glory now and glory later? Much better, right? Why suffer at all? Well, we've seen why. Because in his suffering and death, Jesus humbles our world. He shows us that might isn't right. The fittest don't survive. And history isn't written by the victors. He shows us that weakness is the way. Humility is true honor. And there is glory in our shame. Why suffer? Why the cross? Why the shame? Because in his suffering, Jesus comes to save the suffering. In his abuse, Jesus comes to save the abuse. In his shame, Jesus comes to save the ashamed. The cross tells us that Jesus died the death of a fool so that he might save fools like you and a fool like me. And the cross reminds us that if we follow Jesus to the point of death, our lives might be marked by suffering now. But brothers and sisters, I promise you, as sure as the sun rises on the third day, we will enjoy glory forever. Praise God for the foolishness of the cross. Amen. It is, friends, important for us to remember this day, to remind ourselves of the story of this day, to tell that old, old story. So I'm going to invite you now, friends, to stand. And we're going to sing a song that retells that very story and casts our mind to Calvary where the Lord Jesus Christ bled and died for fools like you and me. Please stand.